This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 35, with guest Angela De Giacomo. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's episode. A German tax advisor by training, Angela De Giacomo has been building a career well beyond the expected. Until recently, she has been running the multi-million Indian-American Bissell family office, where she managed family wealth and invested in startups based in India. Today, she is the managing director of Wundernova, an organization which hosts annual events here in Berlin with the most sought-after female speakers. In today's episode, I ask Angela about her main learnings from her time working in India and how to invite life-changing encounters into your life. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else where you're listening to your podcasts. Hello, Angela. Welcome to the studio. I'm very thrilled for our conversation today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for inviting me, Daria. I know that India is very close to your heart. And can you share with me how everything really got started for you with your first trip to India during your high school time and how you realized that you will be working there one day? Yeah, well, to start my story, I was born in, in Stuttgart in Germany, but I was made by Italian parents. And I was always very curious. Um, I always wanted to travel. I always wanted to explore other countries. And so I started traveling at a young age. Um, 20, 21 years ago, I think, is when I went to India for the first time. It was in 1998. And I had uh, asked my parents to allow me this trip because I wanted to discover what all religions are out there because um, we had a Catholic background. But I learned in school that there are many more religions, and I was just curious to see, okay, if uh, there is one religion claiming that they are the superpower, <laughs> and all other religions are claiming the same, what is the what is the truth? And I learned that there is a country called India where a lot of religions come together. So I convinced my parents to allow me to be there for six weeks. Angela, you are a tax advisor, or in German, a Steuerberater by training, and you worked in consulting firm as a tax advisor for quite some time. I'm curious to hear from you when you were offered to work for the Indian multi-million Bissell family office as an asset manager in 2012. Did this transition from you being a tax advisor for consulting firm felt very exciting and easy? Or did you feel like you had to learn a lot and this was completely new experience for you? No, it was not easy. So uh, maybe to give you a little bit of background. So I started my career with KPMG in 2005 in Frankfurt. I had studied economics with, um, with a major in, in, in taxation, international taxation, because as you know, I had a plan. I wanted to uh, travel and I wanted to be in India for some time. So international taxation was what I decided to do. Um, with KPMG, I was first working in the corporate tax department. Then I heard that there is something very elitish within the tax department. It was called the M&A department. So mergers and acquisitions, and that's where the cool guys are. And that's where I wanted to be. You were like, I want to be with the cool guys. <laughs> I wanted to be with the cool guys. I wanted to be uh, with the difficult discipline. Um, it, it needs a lot of 
knowledge, um, to be able to structure uh, mergers, to fulfill acquisitions, and also to do the due diligence. So that's what I was uh, keen to do. And it also meant to work on projects, and it also meant to work on international projects. So I also worked on Indian deals um, during that time. In the year when I was uh, writing my exam, the Steuerberater exam, I had also had a conversation with my boss, the former head of m Global m Christian Yenish, and I had asked him to be seconded to India once I passed the exam. So that was kind of my carrot. And then it worked out. Well, no, it did not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes life would be easy if the, it would uh, all work out according to plan. No, it did not work out. So it was in 2009 when I uh, mm-hmm. finished my exam and I was about to go to Hyderabad. This is a town in South India. And uh, then the financial crisis happened. So uh, no one was sent anywhere. Um, actually, we had colleagues coming back from London to our main office in, in Frankfurt Um So, no, I left KPMG for two years and came back in 2011 when they said there is a Swiss guy in Mumbai who might retire soon and there might be a vacant position. So I returned and took a whole delegation of KPMG partners um, uh, or joined them and organized a business lunch um, for them where I introduced them to all the entrepreneurs I had met during all the years. So... Because nothing just happens like that. If you have a plan, you work on it. Like every year um, I um, had something to do with India, either on a project or I traveled there myself and I met people and connected and so forth. So I had built a network over many years. So it was very intentional. You knew it. Yeah. But it's interesting because sometimes, you know, you're very intentional, but also life can give you other opportunities, maybe other countries to explore. But somehow, for you, India was a clear place you wanted to be. Were you also open to other opportunities out there? Yeah, that's a good question. No, I don't think I was open for other things. Wow. I love that. (laughs) Very determined. Because I don't often hear that someone gets to lead a family office in a different country. That's not a usual story I hear from Steuerberater. How did this opportunity for specifically for a Bissell family arise for you and how did the trust was created? Yeah, uh, <laughs> so it's a longer story, of course. So the Bissell family I had met at the Diwali party. Um, the Diwali party is, um, or Diwali is, um, is a very important festive uh, season um, in the year. It's called the Festival of Light, and it usually happens around October, November. It's similarly important um, as Christmas is for us. Mm-hmm. So as um, as I mentioned, um, I knew other um, entrepreneurial families in India. They had invited me to this Diwali fest. And um, that's where I got introduced to um, Anjali and William Bissell. So it's a couple. And um, yeah, that was our first encounter. And that was around two years, three years before we actually started to work together. So um, they knew about my affinity for India. They knew about um, my role with KPMG. They also knew about my plans. And um, Mr. Bissell has a business called Fabinia, Fabinia fabinia.com. It sells um, very traditional Indian clothes and furniture and organic food and organic cosmetics. And so he said that if I travel in India, I should go and see some of his stores. And um, so that's how it could, that's how it started. The relationship then a year later, they were acquiring a company in London called East 
a retail chain. And that's when he asked me for um, second opinions on certain tech structuring things. So that's how we started our professional work relationship. And um, in 2012, I believe, I started working part-time for them. I was still with KPMG, but um, I asked KPMG to give me um, a few more off days. So I was working with my team. I had a team at that time. I was a manager um, in Frankfurt. I was working with my team and I had more off days. So that meant that, well, the thing is, the office in Frankfurt is very well located. It's at the airport. So Friday evening, I would take a flight to New Delhi, seven hours. And uh, a week later, Monday morning, I would come back and go to the KPMG office. A week later or over yeah. the weekend? No, a week later. Okay. So I'm working on, on some projects, some so with wow. the results. So I think I did that for around about a year. And then I noticed that it's not doing justice uh, to neither or. So neither to KPMG with the team that was uh, waiting for me, um, nor with the Bissells who had a lot of things to do. So I decided to take a sabbatical year when um, the Bissells sold shares in their own um, company. So there was a um, stale sake. Fabendia sold shares to El Capital Asia. It's the Louis Vuitton private equity arm of Asia. So that was the first time the family had like a significant amount of cash available to be invested. And my uh, part was uh, to structure their international taxation. So the family is American Indian. So that was my role. It was not my role to set up a family office at that point of time. So it happened step by step. And how do you think from where did you had the stamina and motivation to when you mentioned that year where you had to travel between India and Frankfurt, Germany, what motivated you? What gave you energy? Because I can imagine it was a pretty tough year, also very exciting. Yeah, well, you just answered it. No, the excitement, the thrill. It's when you love what you do, you just do it and you look forward to it. And yeah, so I was always looking forward to it. I was always keen on What's next? What's happening next? What am I going to learn next? Um, so, yeah, that, that drove me. Here you are working full time for the Bissell family. How did your day usually look like and how was it like starting off then and also moving to India? Because you were spending more or around half a year then in India? Yeah, so um, we moved there. My husband joined me. And how was a typical day? Well, maybe to give you some flavor of what expected me there, I was very keen on working there. But actually in India, no one was keen on this 32-year-old woman who's coming from Germany wanting to work with the Bissell family. So they were not as keen as I was. So you can imagine it like that. Uh, Mr. Bissell's father, John Bissell, he had started Fab India more than 60 years ago. So I'm not saying that all their advisors were there when his father was there, but some of them were definitely there. So quite experienced and old, very senior people um, in his consulting team, in his close group. And then there was someone new coming in. So it's not that they were waiting for me and uh, <laughs> <open> welcoming <laughs> me. So it was a bit uh, tricky to, to get their trust as well. And how did I do it? I remember that I was working on a deal and there was a deadline which I had given to the team and Mr. Bissell made fun of it. And he said, giving a deadline here 
Well, let's see whether it works out. And it worked out. So slowly, slowly um, ensured that the work was done. There is one big thing in India which one has to do. It's a lot of follow-up work. So if you want a team to deliver on a specific date, you have to follow up much more than you have to do it in, for example, a German team. But yeah, that was my first um, successful episode to be at the notary at the date we had planned to be. And I remember that some of his senior lawyers, they said, okay, that, that's impressive. I see. So you were actually even changing a little bit the culture, the work culture of the company. A little bit. Um, Love it. And I also know that um, the company that you mentioned, the textile company Fabindia, has been really making extra effort to support employers, making sure that they are treated with respect, but also providing equal opportunities for women. Why do you think it was and probably still is so important for the family? Well, for that, one needs to know the family. So it's, I think, in their DNA. So when Mr. Bissell, John Bissell, um, uh, moved from the U.S. to India, I think he, I have never met him, but he was always there somehow because people were still talking about him and there were pictures of him in the company. And so his aura, uh, I think, was still there and um, what made him... So I always felt that he had fallen in love in the country similar to me. So And he had traveled it a lot. Mm-hmm. So he traveled to many remote places in he, India. Was he American? Yeah, he okay. was American. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he enjoyed all the artisans he met and the work which they were doing. So the craft work. And I think he wanted to somehow keep it alive. And so he exported uh, some of the artisan work uh, to the U.S., And uh, when he fell sick and his son took over, um, this was around uh, mid-90s when India was also opening up, his son decided that, why are we selling to America? Why are we not selling to our own folk? And uh, decided to sell to Indians, their Indian craft. So it was about heritage. It was about like conserving and preserving um, this um, artisanal work. And it's mostly done by women. Not all of it, but a lot of it is done by women. So it was always in the DNA of the family to also create a livelihood and improve livelihood of um, people in rural and remote India. You've been working um, for the family for eight years. And of course, you were not only based in India, you were traveling a lot. But what do you think your main experiences, learnings that you take away from that experience? One is difficult. I'll give you two or three. <laughs> okay, no, so, no, go ahead. We can, you know, we can give uh, you a list. <laughs> one learning was definitely to be calmer. So India teaches you that nothing is really as you planned it and many things go not according to plan, which for a German uh, with Prussian discipline and order and plans and following plans was a bit tricky in the beginning. So to learn that you have to be flexible flexible in your mind and and you have to be much faster in your mind to find out what a solution could be. So um, that was uh, something that I've learned um, in India. I've also learned to be more diplomatic. So in the M&A team in, in Frankfurt, we someone sometimes were quite rude. I see that in hindsight because we had a lot of pressure and it was like just sometimes yelling and screaming at each other. <laughs> I like the team, uh, still in touch with them. But I think this, were, this was just the way we behaved at times, not always. 
And we would also give fast feedback so uh, and direct feedback, which we felt is a shortcut. It makes it easier. You think it helps the person probably? Yeah, that that's the I think that's the German way of uh, looking at it. So why discussing it much longer and indirectly maybe giving feedback indirectly if you can just give it uh, someone in their face? <laughs> and so what I learned is that this is not always the most polite way and it pays out if you treat a team differently. But what really makes the effect that if you don't give that quick direct uh, feedback. What was the results you were seeing? A different behavior? Was it a different communication than between teammates? Yeah, I don't want to say it's the Asian way because then I would put a lot of countries into my <laughs> observation. But in India, um, there is this concept of losing face. So um, you don't want to put someone else in, in this um, situation. So you normally provide feedback, but There are ways to give feedback and also to have it heard, but you do it more indirectly uh, in a more diplomatic way. So if someone would be relocating to either kickstart or continue their career in India, what would you suggest them to pay attention at? So if they were a manager of a project and they would work with an Indian team for the first time, I think what they would need to um, understand is that, for example, if something is important for you, in Germany you just put an exclamation mark and you say, this is it's this important, I need this by Friday. And normally everyone understands what it means if it's a Monday. Um, in India, if you want to make sure that something happens by Friday, then you have to follow up. As I mentioned earlier, it's a lot of much more follow-up work. And you have to be very precise on what you want. So you have to have a much clearer understanding of what the result should be. What else? Many more tea breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and usually very fun, more personal interactions. Probably also more focused on building the relationships. Also. Yeah, it's, uh, it's about building relationships all the time. So, Also for these years, as you've been managing a family's wealth, you have been researching companies and startups that the family can invest in. What do you think from an investor standpoint, India, whether it's a country full of potential or not when it comes to investing? Of course, full of potential, always. Um, it's a growing country. It's um Middle class is still is still growing, um, so people are coming out of poverty slowly, but they're coming out of poverty. So I don't know about the results of COVID and how much it'll take them back, but there is a nation and they are aspiring and they, they are affluent and they want more and they're hungry and they will work. They will uh, earn a purchasing power. They will consume. And, and this will translate into a demand for products and services. And yeah, it's a, it's, I think it's a good place to be in. Is there a specific hub uh, in India where you can meet maybe a lot of startups and entrepreneurs and really like grow your network? Uh, I would always tend to say start in Bangalore um, for various reasons. So um, there is a nice startup hub that has been built over the last uh, years. It's a very a mature investor scene that is there. Uh, so almost every international and domestic fund has an office there. It's a very vibrant place. It's warm. Temperatures don't fall as much as uh, or are not as extreme as they are in New Delhi, for example. So it gives a nice flavor the, throughout the year. Yeah, and uh, the old tech economy is also there. So companies like Infosys, Wipro, um, they are there and the Germans, SAPs and so forth. So yeah, it's a good place to start. 
And What's nice that? breweries as well. <laughs> breweries even? Yeah, they somehow have a, uh, they like breweries. <laughs> here you are, back in Germany, right back with your full head based here in Berlin and uh, making Germany your main base, at least for now. Let's see where life gets you. With all those learnings and we said and insights you collected over the years, how are you challenging the status quo here in Germany? How do you plan to influence innovation and change things in your home country now? Is there something you would love to share that you've been working on already? Well, these are big, uh, big things. Um, how am I shaping it? Well, shaping I'm probably doing, um, changing, I, I don't know. A few years ago, when I started commuting between Berlin and India, I decided that it was time that there is a German-Indian startup exchange. And uh, I had read about um, the startups found the German Startups Foundation Association. Sorry, I have to say, they were doing uh, something like that with Israel. And I reached out to the managing director and asked, "Is that something we could do with India as well?" And to cut a long story short, after a year of I think bombarding them with this request. <laughs> um, I convinced them and and uh, we got funding from the commerce minister. And uh, yeah, this program is now up and running. And I think it's the third year. It's going to be the fourth year next year. And, and it's called um, uh, GINSEP. It's called GINSEP, yeah. The German Indian Startup Exchange Program with Julian Six uh, as project head. And Yeah, it's still going on and it makes me really happy to see that uh, this project um, was realized. A common theme throughout your life is that you like to connect to worlds. So previously and still is today is Germany and India, but you also connect generations and generation of very interesting women. And you've been hosting Wundernova Festival with impressive list of guests. Why did you start this initiative when why do you think it's important for you? I think it's important for me because, uh, A, I like to cultivate humanity, so I'm a very positive person, and I get a lot of joy from other people, and I like when the right people come together at the right time because um, I always feel that that's when projects really get kicked off and executed fast, and it's there is a thrill to it, to getting things done. And um, I always have a tendency to not like when people are negative, so it means If you have people who blame others for what is happening in their life, I have a, I have a tendency to be the opposite. So I know that bad things happen in life, but uh, I try to take responsibility for it and be self-determined and um, do actionable things. And so the Summerfest, the motivation was I when I came back to Berlin, I kept hearing that there are so many things that women cannot do that women cannot reach certain, that there is a glass ceiling, that they don't earn as much as men, that men don't promote women. And that was not an experience that I had made. So in my whole career, I was promoted by men. I believe I got as much money as my colleagues made. And there was no glass ceiling for me, at least none that I had experienced. Why do you think that's so? In your personal experience? In my personal experience, because um, there were no boundaries in my head. And there was always a way to get where I wanted to be at some point. Maybe it took longer. Maybe I had to uh, reconsider. As I said, um, KPMG 2009, uh, when I wanted to go to Hyderabad, it did not happen. But I didn't give up. So, um, And I did not blame them. 
I came back two years later. So when they gave me a new chance, so I took that. So what I want to say is, yes, sometimes things don't happen according to your plan. But um, I always felt much more empowered if I could take things in my own hand rather than blaming others or the circumstances or the situation. I'm not saying that this is true for everyone, but it was true in my case. And when I came to Berlin, I, I heard a lot of... Um, blaming. And I was just wondering, is there a possibility that one afternoon we just celebrate what women have already accomplished? And is it possible to have one afternoon uh, really just good vibes and and to show what women have been able to do in different career paths, um, in politics, in the economical field, as entrepreneurs, as athletes, um, in the field of culture and art, is it possible to show how different success looks? That's not always a financial success. Sometimes it can be something very impactful. Sometimes it's just uh, having your first picture in an art gallery. And uh, yeah, so there are so different um, layers of success. And I wanted it to be shown in an actionable way so that everyone who goes there and comes and listens to those stories can take something with them and change something in their own life, in their own career, and and so take something positive with them. And that was the main goal, um, why I started the Wonder Nova um, Summerfest and why there are only women on stage. Guests, uh, everyone is welcome. And uh, I also wanted to give back some of my career, some some of my learnings through those women. Um, and most importantly, I also wanted to give back to uh, young people. So I invited 50 teenagers um, between 15 and 18 years old, uh, boys and girls, and um, and they had they participated at the overall program, but for one and a half hours, they had their own program on the Summerfest where in addition to the female speakers, they also saw or met, I have to say, they met and experienced 10 more women and they were allowed to ask them everything um, related to their work and their career choices. So they were sitting in small groups and they told me uh, that this was very inspiring and also very empowering and many of them got internships which they would normally not get. Angela, you mentioned success a few times uh, throughout our conversation, especially right now at the end. How do you define success for yourself? For me, success is uh, making things become reality. So there is a building, I think, in Berlin, um, which stuck with me because um, when I reached here the first time, I think it's an orange building. I don't know exactly where, but it says thoughts become things. And I think that's how I define success. You think about something, you have it in your mind, and then you make it a reality. I cannot agree more. <laughs> that's how the podcast came to life, basically. I thought of it, and here we are sitting recording an episode. The last question for today is, actually, I picked up a quote from you where you mentioned, quote unquote, I have always been inspired by the extraordinary life paths of women I met while commuting between different worlds. I love that one. How and who do you define as your woman author of achievement? There is a really good friend of mine. Her name is uh, Shraddha Sharma. She is the founder of Your Story. And I think she's the closest that comes to my mind and heart in terms of achievements. I admire her a lot. Uh, whenever I listen to her, I learn a lot. She's uh, 
on the one hand, the most exciting, fun, heartful person. And on the other hand, she's a very shrewd businesswoman also. <laughs> and she's come a long way. She's come a long way. Thank you for mentioning her name. This really wraps up our amazing conversation. I have to say it went beyond the expected. And I mean, Angela, also your career is well beyond the expected. It's a story. It's maybe you can even write a book one time because I loved how it all started and how it developed and how now you're giving back and exploring the how to build things here in Germany, also in your home country. Thank you so much for sharing and being so transparent and honest with your personal story and your experiences and um, being on my podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me here and asking me all this. <laughs> <laughs> with pleasure. We do this again. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.